the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. This is Wednesday, June 29th. I'm Kieran Hancock and this week's show is all about Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. The shock decision by British voters last week to leave the EU has generated turmoil in markets and created massive uncertainty for the British economy. What will all this mean for Ireland in the years ahead and what type of deal is Britain likely to get from the EU? Joining me in the studio to tease out the pros and cons for Ireland of this seismic decision are Danny McCoy, the Chief Executive of Employers Group IBEC, Economist Jim Powell, and Joe Gill of Good Buddy Stockbrokers. And we're also joined by phone by Irish MEP Brian Hayes. And don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes. And it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash business. I'm going to go to you first, Danny McCoy. You're getting a fit of uh, of coughing. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully you're okay. But you've had a few days to digest this result now. Just how bad a result is it really for Britain, for its economy and for Ireland? Um, it's really bad, actually. Um, I think, he, you know, there was a shock off the shock as well. I think people right up to the, you know, going to bed thought they had remained. So I think the very first reaction was the shock of getting it so wrong in the prediction. I think that led to quite a fair bit of uh, non-preparedness, even just psychologically prepared for. So I think we're getting through that phase now. And uh, I think there's a dawning realisation that this could be very big. Uh, it's a bit early yet. The stock markets have clearly reacted, but the more important one will be consumer behaviour. Um, and a lot of our companies, particularly SMEs, are connected in the fast-moving goods. Will start to you know see some of that activity uh, slow down. So it'll, it'll affect us here as well pretty quickly. But for the United Kingdom, uh, that uncertainty is huge. At least we have the advantages of other markets where there's no uncertainties for them. It's you know it's, it's pretty seismic. Can we put any figures on it as of yet? I, I, I genuinely don't uh, believe we can because this, this is, is, you know, it's not a global event like September 2008. But for these two islands, given the extent of their trade, you know, this could be a very serious reversal yeah. on growth rates. I don't think it'll affect 2016, but, you know, for 2017 in, in the forecasting game, it'll be difficult to uh, call it. And even Nigel Farage, who is obviously a senior member of the Leave campaign, even he's accepted there's going to be a mild recession for the UK. Yeah, well, I can economic speak, you know, we might benefit from some substitution effect, but the income effect will dominate this. This is a negative income effect in the short term. Now, listen, this, you know, this could stabilise depending on the nature of the deal and so on, but there's no good upside to this in the short term. Uh, Brian Hayes, um, thank you for joining us uh, from Brussels. Uh, You were in the Parliament yesterday when the Fun and Games went on with Nigel Farage and Jean-Claude Juncker and and so forth, but maybe you can just sum up the the mood in Brussels uh, at at the minute. I, I presume there was shock. Yeah, it's a pretty black mood. I think Danny is right in saying that there's there's no good from this. Uh, it's all bad, and not just on the Irish-British side, but on the EU side. I mean, I think people forget Britain is a big country. It's not a small country. Uh, it was, up until the other day, a AAA-rated country. It's no longer that. Uh, how long that'll go on, we'll have to wait and see. It was a, a net... It, it is a net contributor country. And, um, it, you know, at a time when... The European Union should be getting on with trying to rebuild our economies after the 2008 crash at a time when, you know, the agenda should be about capital markets union. How do we get uh, the proper proper single market working and all the rest of it? This is a bloody awful distraction. And so so there is a, a black mood around Brussels uh, because of the consequence. I think the big concern is 
will there be uh, copycat um, attempts to be run in other member states like the Netherlands, Finland or Sweden or, or in Denmark or Austria where there is this growing Euro scepticism um, and now those people as Le Pen and others are looking for is a referendum. So I think that is the great concern and, and trying to navigate a way through this will be really, really complicated and I think I have to say, I think the, the Taoiseach and the government got it right this week in saying we can't be vindictive to the British. They need time to try to sort out what they want, because clearly, if you looked at the face of Johnson and Gove last Friday and Saturday, they haven't a clue what they want. They didn't expect this to happen. And there is no plan B. There is no strategy in the part of the British. And I hope that in itself might provoke deeper questions about what they need to do next because you know they want to be part of the single market we want them part of the single market it's in our interest that it happens and i think if they are they're not going to be able to set the terms of that uh, because in the norwegian example uh, you know you can work in norway as a member of the european union you contribute to the eu budget and you're you're governed by the regulations of brussels so none of, the, none of this was explained to people at the time of the referendum. I think the other big concern is um, at a business level, you know, if the British are whacked in terms of their economy, short and medium term, we get a percentage of that whacking. And that makes it different for us in a circumstance where we're still in a deficit and we're trying to get more d- domestic demand going, things are improving, but this is uncertainty at the time we don't need it. But the other big problem I think is across these islands that people will stop making decisions big and small decisions from your you know your extension to all the way up to very large industries making investment decisions and that this that this comes at this time having come through the worst of the crisis and hopefully put it well beyond us adds to that uncertainty so uh, there's no upside to this i have to say and it's about trying to navigate our way through it yeah. Jim Power, just taking up uh, that theme that uh, Brian mentioned there about the, the potential hit for Ireland, the Minister for Finance, Michael Noonan, has said Ireland's economic growth could be 0.5% lower next year as a result of Brexit. He was predicting GDP growth at 3.9%. Um, but he said that the budget calculations for this year uh, should remain the same. Do you agree with that thesis? Yeah, I think um, it's it's probably the case that, you know, the economic momentum that has been building up so far in 2016 is a continuation of what was building in 2015. You know, if you look at a whole range of economic indicators, they continue to move in the right direction. Uh, we got the May retail sales yesterday, for example, uh, which were pretty strong. So there's a, enough momentum to carry the economy into a 4.5% GDP growth performance this year, you know, and, and that will create, I suppose, the fiscal space that Michael Noonan needs in the budget um, in October. Um, I'd be much more concerned about, you know, the impact in 2017. Okay, there will be some impact in the second half of 2016. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of businesses over the last few days and they're already starting to see a lot of caution um, in terms of their own investment decisions, but in terms of customers as well. So the one thing business hates more than anything else is uncertainty. And the whole thing is rife with uncertainty at the moment. But I think the real impact um, is going to be felt in 2017. And it, there's, there's a number of issues. There's obviously currency movements. Um, you know, that the point is that we, Irish-owned industry, um, exports about 54% of what it produces. And 
over 43% of thereabouts of that is to the UK. So for the indigenous Irish economy, the UK is an incredibly important market. So what sterling does in the short term is obviously a big issue. Um, if there's a recession, which I think there will be in the United Kingdom, that's obviously a big issue. And then the longer term issue is obviously what sort of trade deal uh, the UK negotiates with the European Union. Um, and it, it's impossible to be honest, at this juncture to say that it's going to take a half percent off growth in 2017. Nobody knows because it really is going to be driven so heavily by politics and how politics actually impacts on behavioural economics. Yeah, of course, tourism is a big uh, tourism factor is a big in, one. in this as well. And Absolutely. we've had figures this, uh, this week yes. showing that the visitor numbers from Britain increased by 15.7% in the first five months of this year to 1.54 uh, million. Obviously, a decline in the value of sterling against euro potentially threatens that. It, it does, ab- absolutely, because we, we have been so lucky over the last couple of years that four external factors have been really good to us. Oil prices, interest rates set by the European Central Bank, the relative strength of the US and UK economies has insulated us from the worst problems in the euro area. And then the other one is the currency movement. But already... Um, the last time I looked, sterling had lost about 15% since last November. I mean, it's been very volatile, obviously, in the last few days, but it's lost a lot of value. It could lose more. So from a tourism perspective, you know, UK recession combined with weak sterling would not be good news for tourism flows into Ireland in 2017. Yeah. But it is 2017 rather than 2016. Okay, that's a neat segue into Joe Gill, who's our markets expert uh, for the purposes of of this uh, conversation. Joe, the Irish stock market and and the banks in particular are absolutely hammered uh, post-Brexit. I know there's been a bit of a bounce in the past day or so, but, you know, why was the Irish market so badly hit? I mean, it was actually worse affected than than Britain or Europe. Well, markets in general were chaotic on Friday and Monday. I haven't seen it uh, as bad as that since the afternoon of 9-11 and the day of the Lehman crash in 2008. And prices were simply chaotic. So we saw very sharp price movements. It was uh, amplified by the fact that investment banks are not committing the same level of capital to making prices and shares that they were in 2008 because they've changed their capital commitments to the stock exchange. And you had these very exaggerated uh, moves. It particularly affected mid-cap stocks and it particularly affected companies that were deemed to be cyclical or exposed, say, to construction or, as you mentioned, tourism. And in the case of Bank of Ireland, which fell nearly 40% between the two days, it was simply a bellwether of Ireland Inc. And there was a view among international fund managers, we're just backing off from risk here. Uh, We don't want to be exposed to peripheral Europe, and in particular, we don't want to be exposed to Ireland until we have time to assess what exactly is going on here. And that is continuing to be uh, the case. There's no easy analysis of this. Uh, It's an enormous challenge to Ireland. But there are elements to this that are uh, worth noting. Um, I think the Spanish election was affected by the response of the markets and of uh, the political system to the Brexit vote. I think if you are minded in Holland or in France to consider a referendum about uh, exiting, you have to consider how serious an implication it actually does have for the real economy and real jobs. And if you look over the last 48 hours, we've seen the big asset manager, M&G, announce they're going to shift jobs out of London. The giant telecoms company is talking about moving its headquarters out of London. We know about Vodafone, I should say. Yeah, uh, uh, we know of a number of other very significant companies that have already started to discuss at their boards the concept of shifting a large number of jobs uh, out of the UK. Now, aside from the impact that has on the UK, 
Um, I think it's critically important that Ireland as a grouping, and I'm talking about policymakers, politicians, organisations like IBEC, the Stock Exchange, the Central Bank, they're very clear in sending a very strong message to the corporate world that Ireland is about stability, is about retaining within uh, its membership of the European Union and staying within the single market. Because right now, a lot of these companies are looking for that type of reassurance. And, and in a way, the construction of the doll at the moment may, in a funny way, assist us here because we've got a kind of a virtual national government in that you have the official government and then you have the main opposition party, both of whom have been saying loudly in the last 48 hours that they are they are for uh, the message of stability, the 12.5% corporate tax, and us being firmly the only English-speaking member of the European Union. And that is a very powerful message right now in the middle of this environment. Brian Hayes, can I, what do you think the Irish government should be doing uh, from here on in? I mean, we've had previous contributors to this podcast saying that uh, if Britain were to choose to leave, Ireland simply has to be selfish in terms of the negotiations going forward to make sure um, that you know the, the best deal possible for Ireland is secured uh, as a result of this exit. Well, the first thing that the Irish government, um, I think, should do is to be is to act as kind of mediators and go-betweens. There's no advantage for us in being vindictive about this, while also there's an opportunity, as Joe said, in a number of areas on the financial side. We have got to be clear that it's in our interest that we keep Britain as close as we possibly can to the single market. So I think that's the first thing that has to happen. And I think some of the things that the Taoiseach said, people from the Netherlands said, Finland, Sweden has been helpful. Some of the more Mediterranean countries were less than helpful in terms of their more aggressive position to Britain over the weekend. The second thing I think we need to do is to see the opportunities in this. Um, It presumably means more resource to the IDA in terms of competition, in terms of what they can bring into the country, where significant businesses might like to relocate in Ireland. We have advantages. One, language. Two, in the Eurozone. Three, a very clear um, political agreement across, you know, 90% of the political parties that the 12.5% corporate tax rate is going to remain. And it's not so much the rate, it's the certainty around the rate. So irrespective of whether Fine Gael's in government or Fianna Fáil's in government, there is a political priority on this question. I think that gives certainty to businesses who might like to relocate uh, in Ireland. But I think the third thing we've got to do is, um, and I think this is just a significant is to see what opportunities exist for us in in terms of developing our own economy. I think, you know, the Irish economy today is totally internationalised by comparison to what it was even 20 years ago. We have a large pharma sector, a tech sector, a very significant financial services sector. And, you know, we've used Europe, the opportunity of Europe, to try to grow those different sectors. What other sectors could we grow if there was displacement from Britain over the course of the next number of years, a more middle-term project, if you like, or medium-term project. And I think that's why we've got to be in the thick of all the files that go on out here, because when we get back to, effectively, uh, the task in hand of trying to recalibrate the European economy, get jobs, investment and growth going, it will be around things like capital markets union. Uh, So big, big files out here on securitization, on prospectus, completing the third pillar of banking union on the interest um, deposit interest side. All of these big questions, we suddenly become not only a country with a lot of interest because of the outcome, but a country that can help get a good deal for other type economies like yourselves, uh, which have those internationalized economies. Not all of the economies across the EU are similar. Because we're small, we're nimble, we're internationalized, we're export focused. Yeah. I think we have a, we have a potential of leading the debate 
uh, with other small countries, Belgium, Netherlands and others, uh, Luxembourg, uh, Malta even, in a way that, that previously we've kind of hid behind the British. We've had, we've had up the last 20, 10 years, really the British government as a big country, we can hide behind them at times. That day is over now. So we're going to have to diplomatically use our strength with other small countries to get the right result. And just in terms of Northern Ireland, there's been a lot of talk of possibly customs controls or border controls being reintroduced. What sense do you get from your uh, fellow parliamentarians uh, in, in Europe and, and also from you know other uh, uh, diplomats, uh, etc., uh, as to how they view uh, the reintroduction of border controls uh, between the North and South uh, in well, light I, of I, the Leave decision? Yeah, I mean, they recognise that if there's one country, um, every country is affected by this, but the country that's affected more than any other country is Ireland. They recognise that first and foremost. And they secondly recognise that, you know, if we're trying to build up the capacity to get a proper private sector economy going in Northern Ireland, um, we need to have the all-Ireland economy. How that's going to work out in a scenario where the UK is out and we're in is an entirely different matter. But there's general support for trying to get the private sector economy going in Northern Ireland. There's been a big swing here in the last uh, few days towards Scotland. Um, Nicola Sturgeon was in Parliament today. Uh, she was very well regarded for, I mean, she's one of the few politicians come out of this with credibility, I would have thought. And I think the Europeans will want to encourage the Scottish uh, while the British are disengaging, they'll want to encourage the Scottish to engage. And I think that provides for us the opportunity, because of the ties between Scotland and Northern Ireland, historically, you know, in many different ways, even economically, it provides us the opportunity of doing some, 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 some kind of special deal. I have said from day one, there will have to be a new deal between Britain and Ireland because of the North and, e and because of the common area of travel. And equally, there'll have to be a new deal between the EU and us. I mean, we can't have a situation where the British walk away from regulations or walk away from aspects of their industry, which gives them a competitive advantage. Now, whether that means more opt-outs, whether it means some kind of exclusive Irish deal, we will have to see. It's too early to tell. But certainly, Ireland's on the radar here. People understand our problem. They're sympathetic towards it. Whether we get the deal we need, we'll just have to wait and see. Danny McCoy, let's talk about the Northern Ireland issue maybe for a, a moment. Uh, I know that IBEC uh, has called for investment in all-Ireland infrastructure to be delivered, and you've done that in conjunction with your peers in uh, in Britain. Um, but how do you see this playing out? Is it realistic uh, for a situation to arrive where Britain leaves the EU, but we don't have custom controls or border controls uh, between North and South? It's, it's very difficult to envisage because um, I think one of the big things that's crucial for Ireland is the common travel area because even though Britain seems to have shot themselves in the foot, they still have huge advantages here. It's, a, it's an economy that's expanding at a rate that will make it the biggest economy in the European Union in a generation. It's still going to hold on to many of its strengths that it has today in terms of those universities, you know, top universities in the world. The city of London will still continue to thrive. It may go back a little, but it's, it's sheer scale. So we want to have that common travel area. That's probably critical for us, uh, just the nature of, of the interactions. And so as a trade for that kind of access... We're basically going to have to share a common 
pool of labour and uh, movement. So we're going to need that special uh, arrangement with the UK. That's going to mean that we need to have that negotiating rights uh, for whatever settlements comes through. The biggest fear, must be the biggest fear for anybody uh, in Ireland, is the breakup of the United Kingdom as a consequence of this, because we're not prepared uh, for the fallout from that um, economically, socially, culturally, and that would be the biggest uncertainty that could be unleashed on our business model. Yeah. What about the opportunities uh, for Ireland? I mean, there must be foreign direct investment opportunities for us, surely. I mean, surely the IDA has a selling card here now. I think, I think there are. As I said at the start, there are these kind of substitution effects that flight away from the UK. But given the scale of the UK and our interaction, I think the direct income effects of this will be negative. And so on the overall sum, it's not great for Ireland. Um, yes, we will get FDI. Some of the FDI that's been talked about, if it can move that quick... Uh, for this decision it can equally move uh, quickly the other direction we saw examples of that with WPP coming to Ireland jumping out again so absorption capacities are a real problem and that's why the infrastructure and the budget is crucial and on, on the local point the thing the government can do now is not panic and in fact it should not uh, decrease what it's going to spend in the budget in fact it, if anything that billion envelope it have is way too little. The fiscal rules are constraining this economy in an inappropriate way and we should be at the European level saying we need to start to deliver <coughs> for the peoples or else scepticism will rise here too. Yeah. Uh, Jim Power, how confident are you that this minority government that we have, and let's let's remember it is a minority government, it could be brought down at any time by the opposition if they so choose. Um, how confident are you that a minority government can actually deliver a special arrangement for Ireland? I, I suppose every presentation I've done in the last 12, 18 months, uh, I've highlighted two risks. One was the possibility of Brexit, and secondly was political instability. And I think both have uh, crystallised to some extent now in the last six months. Um, I worry about the political situation here. Um, I don't think we have a particularly stable government, at least as it's constituted. Um, I certainly take on board Joe's point that having Fianna Fáil there as a constructive opposition um, is an important part of the stability and provided Fianna Fáil is prepared to sort of, I hate using this term, but wear the green jersey um, and do what's best for Ireland, well then, you know, the political situation should be okay. But I think the one thing we should really learn out of all of this is a lot of the <coughs> populist um, solutions that have been thrown about the place in this country and other countries over the last few years, they have serious consequences. Um, because the whole debate in the UK was definitely based on populist promises. And it's amazing to hear members of the Leave campaign say that they weren't they weren't talking about promises, they were talking about possibilities. You know, a lot of the solutions that have been suggested here over the last five or six years, if they had been implemented, um, I'd be pretty certain Ireland would be in a much weaker position today to deal with this Brexit shock. Um, at least we have made progress. We are restructuring our economy. We are getting things back on track. So we're in a better position to... A lot of wage pressure starting to come into the economy. Uh, of, of course they are, yes. And there was an inevitability about that because after six or seven years of uh, flat wages or falling wages in many sectors, it was inevitable that once you start to see an upturn in the economy, that wage pressures were going to build. I think a key role for government, in particularly you know, in maintaining stability here, but also in terms of trying to expand exploit the opportunities that might be presented 
um, by Brexit through import substitution, also through uh, attracting foreign direct investment. The one thing our policymakers need to ensure is that the environment here remains as competitive, as pro-business as possible. Um, and that's why we need to be really careful about you know how we manage uh, the, the, the wage development here over the next few years. Yeah. Joe, let's talk about markets and banks in, in particular. I mean, the banks have been whacked in, in Britain and Ireland. Um, share sales in RBS and Lloyds have been uh, postponed. Uh, we're, we're talking about an AIB IPO for a long time. Uh, it's kind of been put out into 2017. I know that's a long time away in market speak, but uh, does this really put the kibosh on, a, on a, an AIB IPO next year? Well, the first point is uh, Brexit has put the kibosh on the IPO market full stop all across Europe, actually, but particularly in the UK. So uh, compounding that is the valuations of the banking sector uh, across Europe has uh, plunged further. So in terms of price to book ratios in particular, um, they're not trading the right price for AIB, isn't it? Sorry? It's all about getting the right price for AIB. Uh, yeah, and how you'll define that right price is difficult to call when you've got uh, the price to book of most banks in Europe close to 0.5 or 0.6. Um, so I, nothing's going to happen, I suspect, in the short term uh, regarding putting AIB on the stock back on the stock market. It remains a fact that looking forward over the next number of years, we'll want to have as healthy as possible a banking system in Ireland. To make that happen, we'll need to bring fresh capital into the banking system to support the expansion of loan books and export the expansion of credit. And that means finding equity investors who are prepared to invest in these businesses, whether it's AIB or any other business. And um, we will have to come back to this agenda at some stage. But right now, absolutely, you would be saying any thoughts of putting AIB back in the market uh, are just not applicable for the, for the time being. Right. Are there any safe havens for investors in markets at the minute? There are. Um, I mean, one of the... One of my experiences is that these are the types of events during which long-term investors who believe in value uh, actually start putting money to work in markets, and particularly in equity markets, in those companies that they will have watched over many years as the highest quality companies in individual sectors that have been effectively thrown out like the baby with the bathwater. And we've seen big price movements in a lot of companies over the last three or four days. And within that, you can now find strong businesses with very firm balance sheets, well-covered dividends. And what's happened over the last four years is that QE has inflated the multiples of assets all over the world. As a result, the income you can get from an equity, the dividend yield, has collapsed to very low levels. So if you're a long-term investor or a pension planner, it's been very hard to find assets that give you dividend income that can be relied upon over the longer term. What's happened over the last two days is that it's brought a number of companies down in share price and brought dividend yields up. And some of these companies have very strong balance sheets, well-covered dividends. And for somebody who's prepared to put money away looking 5, 10, 15 years ahead, this is the absolute time to look at a small number of stocks. Right. And who is Goodbody favouring in that uh uh, well, well there's, there's a number of names that have seen very sharp price movements that uh, personally I, I think are interesting. Grafton Group, Kingspan, Kennedy Wilson. If I look in the UK, the companies I really like are companies like Vodafone, Glaxo, AstraZeneca, but they haven't fallen, funnily enough, as much. In fact, a number of them are up on the week because they're global companies and the collapse in sterling is going to uh, inflate their earnings. But it's it's businesses like that uh, that can give you assured dividend income. If you look back over 100 years, it's dividends that drive equity returns more than capital gains or share price movements. So it's at these type of times that you'll find 
the kind of long-term investors stepping up to the plate. Yeah. And I know that uh, 10-year Irish bond uh, rates fell to 0.64% on Monday. What does that tell us? It's very hard to distinguish in the middle of all this the role of the ECB. Uh, the ECB has been a kind of a backstop buyer for bonds across the European market, as central banks across the world have been uh, for a number of years. Um, I wouldn't read anything more than that, than everyone realises that uh, the central banks are willing to get behind bond markets and drop interest rates if required and become more relaxed with, with their uh, QE programmes if needed in the middle of this crisis. That's all I read into it. Like Bond markets fundamentally look very, very va- highly valued. And you know, for the long-term investor, you kind of wonder what these yields uh, actually mean. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704 1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. Danny, uh, in advance, uh, some time in advance of the referendum, it must be said, you posited the view that if uh, Britain did decide to leave, that Ireland should have a conversation with itself as to whether we should follow or not. Um, do you, do you, what, what, what do you think? Well, actually, now? no, there was one other part in it, which I said was if Britain leave and are seen to be successfully left, there will be a conversation in Ireland. So there's still another shoe to drop <laughs> on, that particular, uh, on that particular one. I think that, though, you know, we're in the initial shock. It is, it is a society that's capable of uh, being globalised and if free of state aid rules, then I think we have a lot to fear here with our business model because they've been by far our biggest competitor in the last uh, five years for foreign direct investment. We also see a lot of SMEs are being approached to set up operations in the UK and a split <coughs> would bring that about. So I think we will see pressures. It's not going to be uniformly good or bad for Ireland. And I think that some of the issues I talked about earlier in terms of the fiscal rules not being appropriate for an economy that's expanding will give rise to scepticism about whether this is working for us. And if you look at the monetary transmission mechanism, that's clearly not working for SMEs who are now paying interest rates which are anting up to one third of their equivalent in Belgium. So, you know, depending on how this unfolds, there's a long way to go here yet to be seen to be successful out. But we have to be on guard. And I think it's something we bring to the negotiations as well, is that you know, Ireland's an important conduit for Europe as well on the scale of global investment that takes place here. We should not be taken lightly in these talks. Our GDP and our scale of population is not proportionate to our business scale for the rest of Europe. Yeah, Jim Power, you were sceptical about Ireland joining the euro back in the, the, the late 1990s. Um, what's your view now on what Ireland should do going forward? If, you know, Britain's out, uh, whatever deal it negotiates. Should Ireland maybe consider going the same route? Yeah, well, I, I never believed the single currency made economic sense. It was a victory for politics over economics. And I think the UK decision uh, not to join the single currency was the correct one for the UK economy. Uh, but membership of the European Union is a totally different issue. Um, the, the European Union was set up in 1958 to create a zone where you have the free movement of goods, people and capital. So Ireland has definitely benefited from that since we came on board in 1973, as has Britain. 
you know, um, so it's EU has generally been good for Ireland. Uh, to suggest now that we would leave or contemplate leaving is a mistake. I would take Danny's point. Obviously, we see how the UK now possibly gets on outside of the European Union. Um, and there's no doubt about it that outside of the European Union, Britain could become a much more aggressive competitor of Ireland on the foreign direct investment front because what they might lose from the perspective of having access to the EU market, they may try and um, compensate through slashing the corporation tax rate or making it creating huge incentives for foreign direct investment into Britain. Yeah. And outside the EU, it'll be able to do a lot of those things. But at this point in time, um, I think Ireland contemplating leaving the European Union would not be a good idea. But in the round, has membership of the European Union been good for Ireland? Because, and uh, just let me put it out there, uh, on the one hand, I understand everything about the foreign direct investment and it's opened uh, a door into the world for Ireland and it's been good for our exports and access to the single market and, and so forth. But at the same time, we had a massive uh, financial and property crash, uh, which a lot of people lay the blame uh, at the door of uh, the Eurozone and the way it was set up. Uh, and the way it was administered and the fact that the ECB didn't step in to help us out. They basically left us holding the baby. So in, in, a, in a net effect, has it been good for us? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, an inappropriately low level of interest rates and the failure of the Irish and the failure of the ECB to regulate our banking system along with the central bank. But there was also a failure of government here. I mean, government should have been pursuing a counter-cyclical policy after 1999. It did the very, successive governments did the very opposite, totally pro-cyclical. So I I would ask the question that, you know, if we had not been in the European Union, if we had not been part of the single currency, for example, um, how would government have behaved here? Because you look at, you know, there's a long history of political failure in this country. You look at 1977, for example, and the aftermath of that. So I, I, I think we have more than enough ability in this country to blow it periodically without help from the European Union. Danny, Danny McCoy, is the 64 billion uh, cost of the financial crash, is it outweighed by all of the other benefits we've had from the European Union? Well, we could argue about whether it's 64 billion or not in, in net terms, but the, I think the, the point about the European Union has been more fundamentally great for Ireland. I think what you're saying is that the euro project may not have been, and partly it's as a result of the fact that, that we're not exposed to sufficient euro-using members. And the UK not going in was a big blow to us, but also uh, we trade with a lot of non-euro-denominated areas much more than any other country. But for the currency fluctuations is exactly one of the things that we're talking about today is it would be great if we were able to operate in a functioning eurozone taking the currency risk off the table. It wasn't the euro that gave us the problems. It was our fiscal policy and the way we reacted to it. Brian Hayes, uh, Britain's decision to leave the European Union, do you think in, in years to come, maybe in 20 or 30 years' time, that might be pinpointed by people as the beginning of the end of the European Union as we know it now? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, I, I, one thing I'd say is I don't think people should be afraid to pose the question, should Ireland leave? It's always a good thing that that question is posed and that politicians would answer it directly as to the benefits of why we would remain in the European Union and especially in the Eurozone. Now that we're you know, in the Euro, it is our currency and we've got to pr- protect it and defend it. I think there's a lot of scapegoating around the European Union, um, particularly in Ireland. The 64 billion question is nonsensical. We gave the guarantee. It wasn't imposed on us. We gave the guarantee, which uh, guaranteed all of the banks at a time when we didn't know the full scale of the balance sheets. 
And while certainly the action of the ECB didn't help our cause in terms of the write down of some of the senior debt uh, that would have had to go into the pillar banks, uh, to blame Europe for you know essentially mm. a crisis of the, of the public finance position in Ireland is just not true. Uh, I think you know the euro gives us stability now. It certainly we have the full power of the ESM behind it, which is the kind of financial bazooka behind something we didn't have at the time of the crisis. We have now banking union, something we didn't have at the time of the crisis. We have now a bail-in mechanism rather than bail-out, something we didn't have at the time of the crisis. And I think uh, the other great advantage of being in the European Union is access to markets. Uh, 20 years ago, we were an economy of a million people. Now we're soon to be an economy of two million people. Uh, when we joined... Average pay in Ireland was a quarter of it was in the other member states. Now it's 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 a quarter more in terms of the total number of member states of the European Union. And we've become a successful international trading economy. So I think all of the pros outweigh the cons. But that's not to say that people shouldn't be afraid to ask the question. Because in asking the question, we've got to go into the negotiations, as others have said, with a very clear view of what we want. Tax sovereignty is one. Uh, two, the question of not losing out, were the British to be given any exclusive deals? And three, you know, building the capacity of, this, of, of, of the single market to bring the economy on even further. Uh, Ireland's economy has been radically transformed uh, since our membership of the European Union. Previously, uh, what Britain decided on prices went for Ireland. And I think it has really helped our country uh, come out of a position of being effectively an agriculture-based country and, and industry to a, a kind of a, um, a multicoloured economy, which has the very best to offer. And I think, you know, were we not in the European Union, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Uh, Danny McCoy, can we retain our 12.5% corporate tax rate if we don't have Britain as an ally around the negotiating table? I suspect we will. Um, I think it might be more difficult. I'd say we'll be defending it uh, more frequently. We feel like we're always defending it. I feel it could be much more aggressive uh, coming towards us, but I still believe we'll hold on to it. Yeah. Jim Power? Yeah, I think we will. Uh, but it, it is important to recognise that Britain was an incredibly strong, sensible ally of Ireland around the EU table on many issues, not just the corporation tax rate. I mean, the one thing we learned from the banking inquiry is that in the run-up to the bailout, um, the Germans and the French were trying to make a precondition for the funding that we would do somewhere a corporation tax rate. Thankfully, we had Britain on our side arguing that taxation should be a national competency, not something dictated from the European Union. So without Britain, we definitely become more vulnerable and more exposed. But I think we will hold it. But I would agree with Danny. I think it is definitely going to be more difficult. Joe Gill? Uh, I think the pressure will come on in certain quarters, but if the UK goes uh, outside the European Union and tries to use its corporate tax policy as a, a competitive weapon, it won't be um, ignored in, in the rest of the European market. I mean, we're in for a period of considerable turmoil, lots of uncertainty, but in the middle of that, there's a whole bunch of opportunities that are going to arise here. And uh, as long as we kind of hold our nerve and are very clear-eyed about what we believe in as a society and as, a, as an economy, uh, being open, uh, being pro-investment, being liberal, uh, these will play very well, I think, for that mobile investment that's enormous. And, and don't forget that we live in a relatively small economy. If we just look at the opportunity that's arising now, um, there are literally tens of thousands of financial services jobs in London that are middle office and back office jobs that have been for some years uh, operating in a hugely high cost environment. 
Um, the owners of those assets are reviewing those in the context of Brexit. But one of the factors they will also look at is the competitive positioning of those jobs. Um, well, we saw that with Credit Suisse, didn't we? Didn't yeah. they move some uh, jobs? And, and that, that's, that's just tiny numbers compared to what uh, we're looking at at the moment. Now, if, if you look at moving two, three, four thousand jobs like that into Cork or Limerick or Galway or Dublin. Um, uh, that's a very significant uh, opportunity. I'm not saying we go aggressively hunting after it, but we just make it very clear that we're open for business, uh, we're pro-investment, and we remain a solid part of the European Union. Finally, Danny McCoy, what would be the best outcome? Uh, you know, What would be the best new arrangement for Britain with the EU from an Irish perspective, in your view? Well, uh, to come back would be the best one of all now and try and say sorry about that. Um, Let's just tease that out. Do you see the possibility of a second referendum or or some mechanism by which Britain can stay in? uh, I do. I personally do. It'll have to be a different question, though, that they will vote on. And then I I would think that that is then something that will be more on offer. Um, And remember, initially... When you talk to British politicians two years ago, what they the real beef was around the European Court of Justice and what they call the kind of the lifestyle issues of working time directives and so on. If they get changes in the labour market space, uh, then that's a huge issue for Ireland because we are a common labour market, and so having differentials in the labour market proposition could be huge. So uh, Britain back in Europe by far the dominant uh, strategy for us and Britain back in a reformed Europe because Europe has to face up to the fact that it was uh, compelling to walk away from what everybody else can see as a compelling proposition <coughs> to stay. Europe has a role in this as well. Yep. Don't, don't forget that um, there's precedent here like the Danes turned on Maastricht, we turned on Nice uh, and Lisbon. And, and Lisbon. Um, we all came back and did it again when we kind of tweaked it. Um, you're dealing with in the UK society as well that Although, you know, it comes across and does behave as a democracy, there's other deep-rooted power structures in in UK society that I think are coming to bear here. And as the more they hear of very large industrial employers talking about moving huge amounts of their assets out of the UK in response to this, I think you're going to get a reaction. And I think Danny's right. It would have to be a different question. It might be embroiled in a general election before the end of the year, and they may come out of that uh, with a different proposal. Brian Hayes, do you think there's any chance of uh, a second referendum or any chance that Britain might in some way be able to change its mind? Not soon. I mean, I think this is not a treaty. This is a once in a generational question. That The last time it was posed was 1975. It's not like asking the Amsterdam Treaty or the Lisbon Treaty or whatever. It's a kind of generational question. And the only way the question could be reframed, notwithstanding the fact that Parliament is sovereign, is if the will of Parliament was to ask the question again on some new proposition. So if, for instance, they wanted to join the European economic area like Switzerland or Norway, um, having all of the advantages uh, that go with that, uh, could there be some separate deal for them which would allow them to, to, to remain in and also make contributions uh, without being at the table? I think that's the only way upon which a question can be reframed. That requires two things. It requires a general election in the UK, which I do not think will happen when the new Conservative leader is selected in September. But it also requires uh, both parties to be actually arguing going into that campaign that they would possibly rephrase the question and ask the people again if Parliament came to that view. And that's a long way off. I think the problem for the British now is they have no plan B. They have no alternative approach. That was That's clearly evident. And what's going to happen is in September, when the new Conservative Prime Minister comes in, he will or she will have two or three weeks 
to make up their mind to actually invoke Article 50. Once that happens, we're on the road to negotiations. And uh, it seems to me that the only way they could rephrase it, if there is some dramatic um, immediate recession, uh, which has an immediate effect like a, a budget where taxes go up and expenditure going down, where the British can't travel because their currency is so devalued. Um, and are you likely to see that? I think probably not. So I think it's it's unlikely in the short term that a second question can be can be asked. Joe Gill, I guess it's it's just a, a political washing machine at the moment over there. But if you look at Jeremy Hunt running on the Tory uh, ticket, he's indicating he'll run on the basis of a second referendum. Um, if, if you look at the Liberal Democrats, their leader has said he's going to run in any general election on a second referendum agenda. Are they and seven the seats? Par- Lib Dem, seven uh, seats? Does it mo- matter what they at think? At the moment, they could have 70 in the back of a general election, depending on what goes on here. And then the Labour Party is probably going to have a new leader. We don't know where they'll stand on it. But And then even within the Conservatives outside of uh, Hunt, there's lots of division as to what might happen. So I, I just think politics moves so fast here. Mm that anything could happen over the next two or three months. And I think what Brian says in terms of what's happening in the real economy day by day may have a material impact here if we um, have announcements from major uh, employers that are actually starting to consider moving large amounts of jobs. Yeah, final word to Jim Park. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Britain is a parliamentary democracy. Um, It's it's not driven by plebiscites. So uh, what happened last Friday was advisory rather than something that can be written into law. So that's, that's one thing. But over, once Article 50 is invoked, um, I think any sensible person in Britain, um, if they accept Britain is going to leave at the end of the process, um, would have to hope for a Norwegian-type arrangement whereby uh, you would have free access to the single so European it's membership market. Of the it's membership EEA. of the European Economic Area, OK? But the, the, the problem, and this should be pointed out very clearly to the British population, while they will have access to the single European market, they will still make a very significant budget contribution, about 90% per capita um, of what they currently make. At least that's based on the Norwegian model at the moment. Uh, they would have to sign up to most of the rules and regulations, particularly free movement of labour. So perhaps then... I think that will shock a lot of people. I think it will shock a lot of people, absolutely. So what, where Britain would end up effectively is like Norway, having access to the single European market, but having absolutely zero influence over the way the European Union develops. And perhaps that would provide the opportunity for a different question to be asked. All right, we live there, gentlemen. We might have you back uh, at a future date to ponder uh, the machinations as, as they work out. My thanks to Danny McCoy, to Jim Power, Joe Gill and Brian Hayes. Uh, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. John Casey produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times Business Feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next week, take care.